This morning's sermon text reading comes from Isaiah chapter 42, verses one through four. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Isaiah 42 is one of four servant songs, which are prophecies of the coming servant Messiah. And these servant songs are given to bring people of the time hope as they will soon face a future exile under the Babylonian Empire. These songs, however, go beyond a simple return from exile, and they look ahead to the restoration of all things through all of history as the world sees the light of Christ. These songs are not just about Israel's salvation, but the Gentiles seeing the light. They are not about getting simply back to the land of Israel, but perfect healing from sin and perfect justice reigning throughout the entire world. These songs are about what Christ will do when he first comes and what he will come to do when he returns at the end of time. And we know these songs are about Jesus because Matthew 12 quotes Isaiah 42, saying Jesus is the one who will not break a bruised reed or quench a faintly burning wick. And so what Isaiah 42 is saying is that our hope does not consist in just earthly things. Our hope does not consist in a happy material life on earth, rather all of our hopes are found in Jesus Christ. We are in the beginning of the Advent season where we lean into a cosmic ache. Our deep desire for things to be made right in the pain of all the incompleteness that we find in the meantime. We all have felt that cosmic ache, haven't we? It's the anxiousness of the future while carrying disabilitating uh, fears, debilitating fears. Seasoned believers know the cosmic ache. The more we live on this earth, the more we yearn for Christ. We have tasted the joy of Jesus being in our lives, but the more joy we taste, the more incomplete we realize it is because we are sinful and we just long to be in heaven and we long for Jesus to return. Unbelievers know this cosmic ache. For example, on the Sterling Heights residents' Facebook page, people post on burglaries, problems with the city, all kinds of serious grievances, and also petty grievances. What are all of these things, both petty and serious grievances, but just a longing for a a perfect world, a sense that things are not what they should be, and we all are, are grasping for some kind of hope. My favorite post, though, of the Sterling Heights Facebook page was 
I think this was posted on Friday. Maybe it was a joke or maybe it was serious, but did anyone else, re- did anyone else not get their mail yesterday? That was posted on, on Friday. Some of you get it, some of you uh, do not. But these are all examples of just cries longing for something better. Well, in the midst of our aching for a perfect world, Isaiah 42, one through four, shows us that all of our hopes and fears of all the years are met in Christ tonight. And so we're gonna unpack this theme of hope. We've got three points. First, the qualifications of Jesus, the Messiah. Second, the characteristics of Jesus, the Messiah. And then third, the actions of Jesus, the Messiah. And by unfolding these verses along those three points, I pray that our hope can be renewed and that we can all persevere through this cosmic ache that we all feel. First, the qualifications of the Messiah. We read that he will be upheld by God. God's hand is constantly supporting him, which means he will not fail. He goes forth with all mighty power that nobody and nothing can withstand. And being upheld by the power of God constantly means that there will be constant blessing, always a source of grace and mercy through this coming Jesus, the Messiah. And we read on that the Messiah is chosen. He was called by God for the task of bringing salvation to the people. He was called. He was chosen. This means he was divinely appointed, divinely sent. Christ coming into this world was part of God's eternal plan. And that means it's set in stone. Nothing can stop this from happening. Nothing can thwart this plan. Christ is chosen, sent by God Almighty. And this Messiah is spirit-filled. Now, to the listeners in Isaiah's day, this is amazing because the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was given to different people at different times, and the giving of the Spirit seems to be provisional. But here, one of the dominant qualifications of the Messiah is that he is spirit-filled. The Spirit's going to be on him like no one else has experienced yet. And he will go forth with such power, doing amazing things. And so we see in the Gospels that Jesus, by the Spirit, withstands the temptations from Satan, heals the sick, drives out demons, and lives a perfect life of holiness so he can be the sacrifice on the cross to save us from our sins. And with these qualifications, we see that all persons of the Trinity are involved. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it's like all of God's being is involved in the work of the Messiah. Father, Son, Spirit working in unity and diversity to redeem people. Be in awe of our God. And with these qualifications... What the Bible is saying is that Jesus is the only one who can bring us hope. No one else can. Only this God and man can do it. Now, many people have been God's servants before. Prophets, priests, uh, judges like Samson. 
There have been amazing people, unique people that God has sent before, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. And there's going to be some great people in the future as well. However, they cannot save people. Now, throughout history, people have looked for a savior. Some of the ancient Jews thought an animal could actually bring them salvation. And they overlooked the fact they were supposed to look for something that the animal pointed to, and that's the perfect sacrifice, Jesus. Or ancient people once looked to kings like Saul because he was tall and handsome. No, he's our hope. He'll bring salvation. Well, today people think along similar lines. People think that science is going to be the hope of the world, or people think that just humans trying harder is going to be the hope of the world. I once talked with a man who said that he saw sin in the world. He was not a Christian. But he says, yeah, I see sin in the world. I could get him to agree to that. But then I asked him, well, if there is sin, what's the hope for this world? Well, what's the solution to all of this sin? And he said, we just have to be better as human beings. And I said to him, look at the history of this world, and nothing's really changed. There's still sin and misery, just like there has always been. We've not just made this world simply a better place. And he said, well, maybe you're right, but we just have to give humanity more time. And over time, then we'll be able to reform our ways. Yeah, right. The Bible's point is that no one can do this job except Jesus. Here is Jesus, the Messiah, with all these qualifications. He alone is our hope. And so we see the qualifications of Jesus, but but what is he like? This is our second point, the characteristics of the Messiah. Well, one characteristic is that he is a servant. Many things, of course, describe Jesus. But servant is listed first and foremost. Whatever Jesus does, it's because he's a servant through and through. Jesus is called servant also for a very specific reason. The nation of Israel was supposed to be God's servant. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be holy, living by God's commands and pointing people to the one true God, But they failed in that calling to be good servants. And they went after false idols of the culture. Well, we too have a calling to be God's servant. And we also, like Israel, have failed to be that servant. Even the best of our actions still fall short of God's perfect standards. None of us can love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength all the time. We sin every day, and every day we're only increasing our debt before God. We have failed as servants. We we can't be very good servants. Even the best of our servant actions are still so deeply flawed. Well, here Jesus embodies the idea of a servant because he will be perfect. We can't be perfect, but there's Jesus who is perfect, always glorifying God the Father. And that's why he can take our place on the cross 
to win for us salvation. I am astounded at how Jesus serves people. I mean, he's, our, he's the servant because he takes our place, being perfect, but he's also actually doing service to people. And one of my favorite stories of the Gospels that's very striking is when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. God Almighty, with all of his sovereign power of the universe, stoops down to wash dirty and yucky, disgusting feet. In these ancient times, people wore sandals. So after traveling all day, their feet would be pretty dirty. But Jesus is willing to wash such feet. Jesus desires to wash us all of the grime of our messed up lives. Nothing is too dirty for him to touch. Nobody's life is too dirty for him to minister to. He will serve us. He longs to serve us. It's his joy to serve us. Another characteristic of Jesus is that he is humble. Isaiah says that he will not cry aloud. He will not lift up a voice or make it heard in the streets. Those are characteristics of humility. And what a stark contrast to the many earthly kings who constantly toot their own horn or use people as a means for their own power gain and ego trips. They say absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we do see that with far too many earthly leaders. But in contrast to all of this corruption, here is Jesus who is humble. And he came into this world humbly, being incarnated first in the womb of of the Virgin Mary and then born in Bethlehem quietly in the night. The angels did give a glorious announcement, but it was to shepherds, not pronouncing it to the kings and queens or the princes or the very important people. No, it was announced to the shepherds, just ordinary blue-collared, hard-working people, not the elites of society. Jesus did ride into Jerusalem with a chorus of Hosanna, but he rode on the back of a donkey, not a regal white horse. Jesus came to save people, not through military triumph, but through dying on a cross. During his trial, Jesus did not raise an angry voice against his tormentors as they spit upon him and mocked him. Of course, he could have done so. Jesus is God, and he is the innocent lamb. And all of these tormentors, he could have just struck down. And, but Jesus just takes it all so humbly, so so silently. And when Jesus did cry aloud, it was only in anguish as he faced the Father's wrath for our sins. And then the cry, it is finished, before he gives up his life on the cross as he wins for us salvation. There is Jesus in all of his humility longing to serve us, who does serve us. Another characteristic is that Jesus is gentle. Our passage says that he will not break a bruised reed. Reeds are are shoots of a plant. And the Hebrew for bruised seems to indicate being broken, but not to the point of being completely destroyed. So this bruised reed has been trampled on, almost snapped in half, but there are still signs of life, just barely, but still alive. I used to have a garden in Linden, Washington, and I always planted sweet corn. 
And when the plant was young and small, sometimes when I was hoeing the weeds, I would step on the, the small saplings there. And I, I would snap that, that corn shoot almost in half. And I would try to save it by, by planting it deeper so that it would be supported more. And I would watch what would happen. That, that corn shoot that was bent in half stayed small. And it never produced an ear of corn. Well, some people are like bruised reeds, barely hanging on. Bruised reeds are people who have been crushed by their sins. They feel the weight of guilt and either don't know about forgiveness or they're just in a place of life where, where it's just hard for them to accept that forgiveness from Jesus Christ. King David in Psalm 32 is a bruised reed. Because of his sins, he says that his bones are wasting away. There is King David just snapped in half, just barely hanging on. And bruised reeds are also those who've just been crushed by life circumstances. These words of Isaiah are applied to Jesus right after he heals a man with a withered hand. And so, so people suffer for no apparent reason. They did nothing specifically to bring upon that mode of suffering, but they just suffer. And they're barely hanging on, it seems. Well, the Bible says Jesus is gentle to such people. Jesus is also gentle to faintly burning wicks. Some people once had great hope great passion in life. They were like a huge bonfire blazing ever so hotly, but now they're faintly burning. There's a fire, it's there, but just barely. Like a dying campfire, there seems to be more smoke than anything else. People like this today are those who have had great faith in Jesus, but then due to many hardships, it's like their faith is almost snuffed out. And they doubt God's goodness. Well, they go through a period where they're just really confused about who God is. They have faith, it's real, but it's like it's about to go out. There's a little bit of fire, but there's more smoke than fire. An example of a faintly burning wick is in Mark 9, 24, where one says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think a lot of us have found ourselves in that situation at times. Yes, Lord, I believe in you, but, but it's really hard right now. I'm not even sure if I even really believe or my faith is it's just so small. Surrounding real faith, th th there seems to be more unbelief, more smoke than anything else. Now, a lot of religious people would use those situations to crush people. The religious people would say, well, it's because you're not good enough. You, you must be backsliding. There's more smoke than fire. You are a backsliding Christian. And, and then they, they, and they crush people and they actually harm people and beat them down. And what they need to hear is not more guilt and, and, and more pain. What they need to hear is that Jesus is gentle to such people. Jesus is gentle to burning, faintly burning wicks and bruised reeds. We don't have to fear that, that, that Jesus will reject us. Now, sometimes we reject God's mercy because we say it's for others, but not for me. But we have to put that out of our minds because Jesus is gentle. That's who he is. 
And he says, come unto me all. And by all, he means all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest, for I am gentle and lowly at heart. We cannot out the grace and mercy of our gentle Savior. Our sins and doubts are mere specks compared to the ocean of God's grace. And so we come to him as bruised reeds. We come to him as those with more smoke than actual fire. And he will be so gentle. Now we get to our third point, the actions of Jesus. So if his characteristics are, are, are be, to be humble and gentle, what, what does he do? How does he actually treat us? What are his actions toward us? Well, if you haven't been filled with hope yet, then this point should blow you away. If he will not break the bruised reed, what is implied is that Jesus will plant us. Whereas once we were just a stick, God will plant us and we shall become as oaks bearing fruit. There was Saul who once murdered Christians. Then he became a Christian bearing so much fruit with a brand new life, being a missionary, planting churches and appointing elders in all the towns. That's what Jesus will do for us. He will forgive our sins, but he will plant us and cause us to grow. If he did that in Saul's life, of course he can do that in our lives. And since Jesus is as gentle, he will not snuff out a wick, which, is, which implies that he will fan our flames. He will rekindle the fire. Look at poor Thomas who doubted the resurrection of Christ. He refused to believe unless he saw himself the risen Lord. It should have been enough that, that he heard the testimony of the disciples. It should have been enough that he heard God's word, but he said, no, I gotta see for myself. Then, then Jesus graciously appears before him. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. So there was, a, there was Thomas shriveled up with a shriveled faith, all hope gone because Jesus was crucified. But then he goes from that miserable state to, to, a, to flaming faith once again. Peter's faith was nearly out. He had denied Christ, being ashamed of him. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't crush him, but he fans the flames. And so after the resurrection, Jesus three times says, Peter, do you love me? Go, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And what is Jesus doing? He's drawing out more love and more passion from Peter. Jesus fans the flames of a decimated Peter. And so we better be sure that if our faith is faintly burning over time, God will revive us again. And then Isaiah 42 speaks of more actions of Jesus, and that is of bringing justice upon the world. Now, because of such high corruption in Isaiah's day, the poor were not taken care of, widows were oppressed, sound judgments from officials were not being declared. But here, Jesus is going to bring perfect justice. He will not grow faint. He will not grow weary until justice is given across the whole world. So just how does Jesus bring justice? Well, initially, we may think that Jesus brings justice kind of like a police officer or attorney performing acts of justice, like stopping crime or giving a just sentence. And these acts of justice are needed, and they're so helpful. 
But these acts of justice cannot redeem what was lost. Those acts of justice cannot transform the present situation. And when the Bible speaks of justice, it's speaking of transformation, the restoration of all things. So it kind of goes like this, to borrow an illustration. You know, suppose you've recently purchased a very expensive painting, and that painting is valued in the hundreds and thousands of dollars. And then while you are away, a thief breaks in, steals the painting. So you call the police. And finally, the, the, the police catch the culprit, and, and you're relieved. You're grateful. And this criminal uh, has, has all this evidence against him, and you, you expect a uh, quick uh, conviction. You, you are glad that, that, that there is justice. But then you say to the police officer, can I get my painting back? And the police officer says, no, well, the, the painting is forever lost. And so justice in that sense has no power to restore. And so when the Bible is speaking of justice, it's speaking of the restoration of all things broken by sin. A justice that only Jesus can bring to this world. And this justice happens in many ways. Well, one way is that Jesus gives justice is by bringing judgment on himself. To save bruised reeds, he himself has to become bruised, as Isaiah 53 says. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus was crucified. He suffered the wrath of God so that our sins can be forgiven. And so Romans 3.26 says, Christ is just and the justifier to those who have faith. Christ shows justice by, by having sin condemned in him. You see, a holy God cannot let sin go unpunished. God has to deal with sin. And so Christ takes the punishment that we deserve. We are then justified, or in other words, declared not guilty because justice poured out on Jesus. And we just have to receive that through our faith. What amazing justice. We need to be saved from our sins. Things need to be made right again. But we deserve the justice of eternal damnation. But there is Jesus taking our place. And so instead, we get pardoned. We are forgiven. And it's like we've never sinned. And so you see justice here, restoration of things. And then there is justice for hurting people. Justice right now for hurting people in this lifetime to some degree. Because, because of Jesus, God is a father to the fatherless. With Jesus in one's life, an orphan can say, I have a home. The poor get to say, I've got riches in heaven. A wife cast off by her husband finds a new spouse because Jesus is the faithful bridegroom. Those who have been destroyed by the evil of this life get the promise of everlasting life. Christ is reigning right now with a spiritual kingdom full of justice. And then there is the justice that will reign in the new creation. And this justice is what Isaiah 42 focuses on. It says, nothing will stop Jesus until justice is over the whole earth. And Matthew 12 in quoting Isaiah 42, says this, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. I love that 
twist that, that, that the New Testament puts on that. He will not stop until he brings justice to victory. And this victory happens when Christ returns and throws Satan and all of the demons and all that oppose him into the eternal lake of burning sulfur in Revelation 20. This victory is depicted in Revelation 19 as Christ coming again, a rider on a white horse, and out of his mouth comes a sword by which he strikes down all enemies. The one who is gentle toward bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks will come with power against all forces that oppose him, and there will be justice. The enemies of God will be judged, and then God's people, saved by grace, will be vindicated, and we will reign with Christ for all eternity. The justice portrayed in Isaiah is the ultimate victory, the ultimate triumph of all bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks. Now, our only response to all of this is to do what Isaiah 42 verse 1 says, Behold. Behold Jesus. That's the only thing we can do in response to this. Behold means to look upon Jesus with awe and faith. And if we can do that, we can find rest and hope as we go through this life. When he says, Behold, it's like God is saying, Look up from your darkness. Here is a Savior. He has come and he stands ready to help you. Your eyes are focused on the battle. You see your enemies. You are fixated on your temptations. You can't look away from your doubts. But look away for a moment. Behold, there is Jesus. You who wonder if God will do anything good for you. Behold, there is Jesus before you. You who feel like your sins are too great. Behold, there is Christ. He has come. You whose dreams have been shattered and you feel covered with shame, behold Jesus. He's not going to crush you. He will not snuff you out. If all seems lost, behold Jesus. One of my favorite scenes in The Lord of the Rings is in the second volume. And the main characters, Gimli, Aragorn, Legolas, the whole town is headed to a fortress called Helm's Deep. The enemy orc army is coming to attack this open town. So the only safety is to go to Helm's Deep, this impenetrable fortress. And Gandalf, the wizard, is with them. And they feel encouraged because Gandalf is there. But then Gandalf says, I've got to leave you. I'm going to go muster up support elsewhere. But then he says, look to the light of dawn on the fifth day, help will come. Well, then Gandalf leaves, and the rest of the crew and townspeople go to the fortress. They make preparation over many days, and they fight for many hours, and the orcs come wave after wave. All seems to be lost. They are alone. They think they're going to die. But then comes the dawn on the fifth day. The light streams into the fortress. And then Aragorn and company see that light streaming in. They've got revived hope and they rush out into battle. And once they get out into the open, they see Gandalf and this vast army behind him ready to help. And they realize then that victory is theirs. And they go forth with new vigor. 
We are weary from battle. We are bruised reeds. We are faintly burning wicks. But behold Jesus. Look to Jesus, our dawn. There he is, and he will bring justice, and he will not stop until it's over the whole earth. Victory is ours because Jesus will bring justice unto victory. Let your hope be renewed. Let your troubled souls be calmed and be filled with new strength. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are a people in need of hope. There is so much darkness out there. We just watch the news for a couple minutes and our hearts break at all of the pain and suffering that is out there. We are longing for heaven. We do pray that Jesus will come quickly. But until then, revive our hope so that we have strength to persevere. May all of the bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks today come to you and find refuge. Amen.